Welcome to the Water People Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hill, and my co-host is Dave Rastovich. This season is supported by Patagonia, whose purpose-driven mission is to use business to save our home planet. We acknowledge the Bundjalung Nation, the first and ongoing custodians of the land and waters where we work and play, who have lived, worked, and cared for this sea country for tens of thousands of years. Respect and gratitude to all First Nations people who continue to practice the cultural, spiritual, and educational customs of their ancestors. Today we're in conversation with two-time world para-surfing champion, Sam Bloom. Sam is a mother of three and the best-selling author of two books, and she's the subject of the 2020 film Penguin Bloom, starring Naomi Watts. The film and book by the same name detail the tragic accident that left Sam paralyzed from the chest down, and the unexpected guest, an injured magpie in need of care, who helped Sam rehabilitate and regain a deeper sense of herself again, including getting back in the water. We were so excited to chat with Sam that we completely forgot to ask her about her avian savior penguin. But we highly recommend checking out the film or books to learn more about their moving interspecies relationship. We'll include links to each in the show notes. We spoke with Sam remotely on a windy but gloriously sunny morning in early June 2022. We hope you enjoy hearing from Sam as much as we did. Thank you so much for um, for taking the time to chat with us today. No, thanks for asking me. It's so cool. So I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but we always begin these conversations in the same place. And that's by asking about a time or experience after which you were never the same. Do you have mm-hmm. a moment? Do you have a moment like that, Sam? I bet you uh, have. Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, by far the... Um, one time that um, I totally changed into a different person was when we went to Thailand in 2013. So, um, yeah, so Cam, Cam, my husband Cam, and I have three boys. And so Cam and I have always loved traveling. And so we essentially wanted to instill our love of traveling in the kids. So we thought um, actually our initial plan was actually to take them to Ethiopia because Cam and I absolutely love Ethiopia. And so we were going to fly um, to Egypt, obviously we'd go to Cairo and then fly down to Ethiopia. And unfortunately at the time in Cairo, it was, it was too dangerous to go there. So that's, we, we chose to go to Thailand, you know, it's close, lovely people, good food. Mm. And so we flew into Phuket and then four days into our trip, we were heading north and we found this really awesome hotel just right on the beach. And one of the kids sort of spotted like this staircase to go up to like this big flat rooftop. And um, so we all went up and I leant on a railing and it had dry rot and I didn't realize. So I fell six meters and broke my back and sustained numerous injuries. And that totally changed me for, I think, the rest of my life. Wow. Radical. Yeah, yeah it was radical. One of the best holiday I've ever had. <laughs> no. And, and Sam, are you asked to tell that story a lot yeah are we one of many people that no 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 I don't mind reliving it well you know what actually it's kind of weird but I don't have any memory of it oh wow I don't remember I I don't remember going up the stairs and um I don't obviously don't remember falling I think Mm. my first memory is about three days after the accident 
Because mm. like, when I fell, I hit my head. So I had blades in my head and yeah, I split my head open. And yeah, it was pretty horrific. Mm. I just feel bad for Cam and the kids because, um, you know, we were all up there together and, and they, a couple of the kids saw me fall. And so obviously they all ran down. And yeah, it was pretty awful. Like I was lying on the ground unconscious and, you know, bleeding from my head. And I'd bitten through my tongue and, mm. and I wasn't breathing terribly well because, um, I guess I had a lot of internal bleeding and, you know, didn't sound too good. And, and then Cam rolled me over, um, I guess, to clear my airway. And that's when he just saw this massive lump on my back mm. where I'd broken it. So, mm. yeah, crazy. It's really a, it's a, um, it's a nightmare situation, isn't it? Especially yeah. having your kids yeah. there. It just Yeah, I'm just, I mean, you know what, though? I'm so glad that out of all of us that I fell, I wouldn't mean, well, I couldn't have handled it if one of the kids had fallen and this had happened to them. Mm. No way. Mm. Sam, I've been reading your most recent book, Heartache and Birdsong. And for those of us or for those who are listening who haven't read your beautiful work yet, um, you write about how the worst day of your life, and maybe this has changed, I'm not sure, mm. was not that day. It was another day. Can you talk us through yeah. that worst day? <laughs> yeah. So the worst day was actually when I came home from hospital, mm. which is, sounds really strange. I think I think when I came home, you know, when you're in hospital, obviously I was on the spinal unit and then I went to rehab for a few months. And, and I think this will sound really weird, but you kind of like, well, you're not the only one, put it that way. You're not the only one in the wheelchair. You're not the only one whose life is just totally changed. Um, and so when I came home from hospital, that was when I guess the reality so then I was like, oh, my God, this is my life and this is this is the new me. And I, honestly, I hated it so much. Mm. Yeah. So And I think, you know, coming home and I've got the three boys and I just couldn't do the things that I used to do, even like simple mum things, <laughs> you know, like drive the kids to school or go pick them up or clean the house, go shopping, just all of those things. And mm. actually probably one of the worst things, we um, our house, we can see the water. And we can see Bogola Beach, like North Bogola, which is where I grew up and my favourite spot to surf. So, you know, I'd be sitting at home and just looking at the beach and, oh, man, it made me so sad. I think sad and angry. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, um, in Heartache and Birdsong, you write at length about the darkness that you started to refer to there, the darkness that enveloped you after your accident, about the suicidal thoughts that surfaced not every day, but in every hour. (laughs) Yes. You write, you write, and I'll quote you, I'll quote you back to yourself (laughs) lots of times um, during our conversation because you write just so beautifully. You wrote that, quote, I cannot tell you how I finally won my personal battle with darkness because the battle isn't over and it may never be. You started to speak to the way that water was influencing you after you came home. Um, but what role has water played in your battle against the darkness over the years after that, after those early moments? Yeah, well, as you know, it's taken a long time mm. because, um, geez, like I remember my first summer when I got home from hospital and I just, it, it was so frustrating because the ocean and water has always been my happy place, right? Mm. And then when Cam would take me for a swim, you know, he'd piggyback me in and my body, I used to say to him, it felt like I had um, like wood running up and down my back. Like I'd go all stiff and then I was just so uncomfortable and, and yeah, and I hated it. It So it was like my happy place. 
which kind of always meant so much to me, was almost fighting me, if that makes sense. Wow. Mm. Yeah, it was awful. And I kind of hated going swimming and I hated going to the beach because, you know, besides the fact I felt really uncomfortable in the ocean, and this would sound terrible, but I would be so envious of everybody running past me, you know, with a board under their arm and doing what I used to do. Mm. Yeah, I used to say to Cam, I said, can we just please leave the northern beaches and can we just move to the desert? Where there's no ocean, no people, and I can just be in my, I guess, my own little twisted bubble. That actually reminds me. We uh, the first the first conversation we recorded was with water woman Kimmy Werner. She's a free diver living in Hawaii, and mm-hmm. she told us about an experience where um, she had a really traumatic relationship breakup, and during that time, the ocean you know, the place that had been her source of liberation and connection and, you know, her happy place, like it is for so yeah. many of us. But during that time, it turned into this dark, unwelcoming place because it was reflecting yeah. her back to herself as she was changing and making decisions that she wasn't necessarily proud of. Um, yeah. And so I think it's not an uncommon, you know, even though your story is unique in its tragicness, it's not uncommon for people to find the places that they love suddenly unwelcoming um, when, when we start to change. Yeah. That's so true. And yeah, I was devastated, you know, because I've grown up like swimming and surfing and that's Mm. just what I knew. That was who I was. And yeah, you're right. It is devastating when, when you sort of, I guess, fighting against it and it's just doesn't have the, it doesn't have like the magic that it used to have on you. And is that still the case, though, Sam, or has um, it changed now? It's not as bad. I don't feel it's really strange. I don't feel as uncomfortable in the water anymore. Like my body just doesn't go all stiff and, yeah, it's weird. No, I, I do love it. I still get a bit frustrated, though. Man, mm. I would do anything just to be able to grab my board and go surfing on my own. Mm. I do get a bit annoyed. I mean, I obviously, I appreciate everybody helping me, but, man, I'd do anything just to be sitting out, out of the back, on my own because that's what I used to love doing. Yeah. Lauren and I were chatting uh, a little while ago. We were just wondering about when you enter the water, your experience of it, if you could paint a picture for, for us in regards to your your senses. Um, Lauren and I over the years have uh, tried different ways of surfing and, and she's gone out blindfolded and I, I love huh. to I love to surf at night um at, when it's appropriate and and we've noticed that when we do that you our other senses in our body really sort of tune up or um intensify to to compensate for other senses that can't really be um used at that moment and I was wondering about that yeah. with with your yourself like if sound or even scent or other things ha- have incre- yeah. increased or changed between when you grew up as a little surf rat you running down on your own like that um, yeah. a- and how you uh, access the ocean nowadays? Yeah, man, I've never even thought of it like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess, it, I mean, obviously I can't, like I've got no feeling from like my chest down, so maybe I am more aware of what's coming and the waves and kind of like I think now I've turned into much more of a chicken 
Then I used to be like, you know, so annoying. So I always feel like a tomboy. It's like, yeah, I can do that. You know, now it's kind of like, oh, shit, 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 this big wave coming. Like, I kind of get a bit panicky. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm always with the, in the water with someone. So I kind of always have like a bit of a safety net. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's a really hard one. Oh, this would be that'll be a fun one to tune back in with you at some point in totally. the future and and um and see how how that goes for you. And, and what about just I guess that comfortability factor you were saying before it was different and and now you know it's not as um, difficult as it used to be for you. So so how do you feel now when you get in the water? No, I, no, I feel I feel good. Although, like I said, I still get a little bit nervous. Minkus Cam piggybacks me into the water. And mm-hmm. I've got to admit, I hate it when they're shoreies. Because, mm. you know, he'll just keep going. I'm like, dude, like, stop, stop, stop. You know, I don't want him to get taken out by shorey. Then I'm on his back and I'll get taken out. Mm. So it is a little bit, yeah, I think I'm still a little bit more nervous than I've ever been. Mm. Um, yeah, just the fact that you can't just dive under a, wa- under a wave. You just kind of have to... Um, almost duck my head and kind of hope for the best yeah um sam i was interested to ask about your experience of breath holding now how how has that changed for you i was reading about how um diving underwater is more complicated for you now can you talk us through what it feels like yeah sure i actually strangely i can hold my breath for ages now oh wow and i don't know why <laughs> maybe that's a good thing um yeah it's weird um but i've i've tried since my accident to you know when you're in the water and you do like a somersault under the water mm. and you mm. blow and you blow air out of your nose i can't do that mm. i just physically can't do a somersault and blow out my nose at the same time it's really strange but i have noticed i can hold my breath for a lot longer yeah, weird, and I, I don't know why. I remember one time, it was probably pretty early on, and um, Cam and I had probably gone snorkeling or something, and I went under, and, you know, and I kept swimming under, 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 and he kind of panicked, and he grabbed me and reefed me up, and I'm like, dude, I'm fine. Like, yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe, maybe, like, if my diaphragm is a bit, like, paralyzed or something, I, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how that's, that's happened. I don't know how it's happened that I can hold my breath for a lot longer. And and from your book, you wrote about how kayaking was a part of this transition back toward the water after having the the frustration of having to watch the beach from the house. It was actually mm. being on on the surface of the water that welcomed you back in. Can you talk us through that journey a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, when I was in rehab, um, I used to kind of complain to this. Um, he was a sports recreational officer, and he was just awesome. And, um, you know, I'll be like, well, I can't surf anymore and I can't ride my mountain bike and I can't play soccer. And I'd like rattled off all these things. And that's when I said to him, well, maybe I could kayak. And so, yeah, I was, I was, um, had my first, I guess, it, like my first go at kayaking about two weeks after I got home from rehab. And it was just unreal. I think I loved it because I felt free and I wasn't in the wheelchair. So you sort of feel like kind of normal. That would sound really bad, but I don't know. I just loved not being in the wheelchair and, and just not having people around me all the time. Because mm. I used to be quite, I guess, quite an introvert and I just liked my own company. And mm. after the accident, I was just always surrounded by people. So, yeah, I just loved, I love being out kind of on the water and surrounded by the bush. And, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of like my new happy place. 
And it's really strange because when I first started kayaking, I'd only um, paddle on a Saturday morning. And I, I remember it. I, every time I'd come in after paddling, I was pain-free. Mm. And so I don't know how come, but, yeah, somehow it would, because I'm in, like, it's good neuropathic pain. It's like your nerves just going crazy 24-7. Mm. So I'm always, I feel like I'm on fire. And, yeah, I remember after I'd kayak, the fire would disappear, which wow. is so nice. Wow, yeah. that's, that's beautiful. Were you paddling? In like, is it Clareville or the the pit? The... Oh, uh, yeah, Narrab- uh, Narrabeen Lake. Oh, okay, Narrabeen Lake. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, so there's some, there must be some special areas around there to paddle and yeah, there are get, definitely get that space. Yep, yep, hundred percent. Like, and you can kind of go up like little creeks and stuff. So it's just beautiful. There's no one there, and you just like look at all the birds and yeah, it's it's really special. Sam, I really um was touched by the way you wrote about your dad and <laughs> his his decision when it came to being faced with basically amputation or death as he mm-hmm. faced a, um, an infection as a complication of diabetes. M- my mom is an above knee amputee and she yeah, right. is still on the slow, very slow, long process of recovery and I don't think, I mean, I can't even understand the amount of time and mental fortitude and strength it takes to get back to some semblance of um, independence and, I guess, life before a, a major traumatic incident like you've experienced, like my mom's experienced, like so many people have experienced. Yeah, absolutely. Can you can you clarify for people who maybe don't have someone close to them who who haven't seen what it takes to recover to put in the time day after day of building your strength of the frustration of not being able to do what you, you once could and yeah uh, yeah man it takes time honestly mm. um, definitely the first year or two. I, I hated it. I hated it. Like you said, I was so frustrated. I mean, I still get frustrated. Mm. You know, I still, I still can't do, you know, strip the beds and do those simple things like that. Mm. It just, yeah, it is. It's a bit of a, I mean, for me, I think obviously it's a physical kind of challenge, but it was, it's, it was mostly mental, mm. a mental challenge to um, sort of, in a strange way, I guess, accept that life will never be the same and I do need to ask for help and, you know, and I can't do kind of everything on my own like I used to do. So it's hard and and it's it's weird. Like like you said, with my dad, like I remember when I took him to the hospitals because, like you said, he had diabetes and I remember I was at the gym and my mum called me and she's like, oh, can you please come over? I think your dad's having a hypo, like his sugar dropped. Hmm. So I went over and then um, I said to him, Dad, I'll just take you to the local hospital. And that's and he had that ulcer. He had an ulcer on his toe at the time, and um, so we took him down, and yeah, and that's when um, the doctor essentially said to us, like, if your dad doesn't have his leg off tomorrow, he'll die. And yeah, and and before that, I remember saying to him because Dad knew he had to have his leg amputated, hmm. and um, I kept saying, Dad, you better like make up your mind because it's going to kill you. And he's like, Oh, you know, he didn't. He, he's like, I think I'm quite like my dad. He didn't want to be a burden. Mm. you know on the family he didn't want to have to ask for help 
and I guess and be labeled disabled, which I, I really do not like that word. So yeah, I think I am I am quite similar to my dad. So um, we said to the doctors that no, like we don't want you to um, amputate his leg because he didn't want that. Mm. So I, I understand where dad is coming from, that's for sure. It's a strange um, experience. Lauren and I, we both, Lauren's mum has um, above the knee uh, amputation and my father actually was the same. No way. And uh, different causes, um, different types of lives and um, decisions for both of them. But, yeah, my dad went through that. But he didn't make it. He he didn't get through. I think it was only like three or four months later he ended up taking his life. And, oh, no. and that was not just because of the the recent amputation um he had a, a long life of of trauma and and radical ups and downs yeah. um oh. but it really opened up my eyes to to um those of us in our communities who are faced with these radical physical changes um these challenges and how to get through them if that's possible for some people or not for others and yeah. um and how how we can be most supportive because he was my dad and, and similar with Lauren's mum, like they're tough cookies, you know, they don't want to yeah. really ask for help. They don't want to be a burden. Yeah. And so, and he was in New Zealand. So it was, and Lauren's mum is in Florida. So we've got that thing of distance where it's like, Oh, how can we be of best help for them? And, yeah. and I was curious to ask you about that, actually just support networks. Um, if we, if people who are listening to this have someone in their life who does need help, you know, how we can do so uh, as supportive family members or friends in a way that, I don't know, I guess it's a broad question, but your experience of handling people who are coming at you with perhaps an inappropriate attitude or approach. I think maybe Lauren can word this better than I am stumble, stumbling <laughs> right now. But. No, no. So do you mean like like what it would be the best way to help people? Or? Yeah, I guess, um, I guess for me... I wish I'd had more opportunities to help my dad in that period. I guess that's why it's hard for me to talk about this because I re course, I realized yeah. there was a period there where he was extremely vulnerable and I regret not being around enough or or seeing that better, see, being clearer and and really reaching out more and and maybe and being knowing more, how hard it is, right? Yeah, now, now knowing what I know now, I wish I knew that then, of course, and and was maybe more pushy and in his face more, but then, but then, is that the right thing? Yeah, I know. It's it's tough. It's so hard because, like you said, everyone's different. Mm. You know, maybe maybe your dad didn't want you to be in his face. Maybe he was trying to, I don't know, be a typical dad <laughs> and kind of like, you know, yeah, she'll be right exactly. kind of thing. That's like my that's what my dad would have done. He's like, oh no, she'll be right, even though he's like legs, like probably like. You know, exactly. not and not yep. good. Yes, it is. It is super hard. I just think you just have to be kind. Yeah. To people, I think that's it. And because, like I said, everyone, everyone handles things differently. I mean, I was pretty bad. I actually pushed a lot of my friends away because I was embarrassed. Actually, I was embarrassed for them to see me like this because, you know, before the accident. I don't know, I was always super active. You know, I'd always have my, my mountain bike and my surfboard in the van and, and 
I'd go up for a mountain bike up like near a house is like a um, national park and then I'd go for a surf so that was kind of that was who I was and then to have that taken away and be like you said so vulnerable and just not the same person I know I just pushed a lot of people away who were trying to help me mm. yeah so it's hard it is it is really hard yeah yeah I think for me actually I would I felt more comfortable with people who actually didn't know me before my accident mm. because I think I guess they they didn't compare me to who I was and then to what do you know to what I am now mm. so yeah it's a tricky one well my kayak coach like gay she was also a Kiwi. She's just a legend. I know she, I love the way she treated me because she just treated me normally. Hmm. You know, she kind of bagged me out and, <laughs> you know, it just, I don't know, made me laugh and just didn't focus on like the fact that I was in a wheelchair. She was just like, just treating me like everyone else. And yeah, I really appreciated that. Hmm. It, yeah. Oh man, it's, that's, it's so hard, hmm. you know, but then, and then and she could bag the crap out of me and I think it's really funny. <laughs> But then on the flip side, during my first summer, um, we had a friend who was a GP and um, I remember her ringing me one day and she's like, um, oh, do you want to come down the beach with us? And I'm kind of thinking, oh, no, I don't want her husband to piggyback me down. You know, Newport Beach in front of everyone, that'd be way too embarrassing. So I'm like, no, I'm cool, Nick. Like, you know, yeah, I'm fine. And then she goes, oh, do you need anything? I'm like, no, 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 I'm good, thanks. And then she goes, oh, I guess all you need are legs at work. I'm like, what the hell? Like, yeah, so it's, it's just like that is the most uncoolest thing to mm. say, like, especially when it was just so fresh and and she knew that, like, you know, and I, I would all, used to be down the beach heaps and be active. Like, she wasn't the most active person, but mm. I don't know. I just thought that, just, that was just such a mean thing to say. Mm. Yeah. Yet I think if Gay had said that, I would have just told her to bugger off and I would have kind of thought it was funny. So. It's tricky. I think you just have to be a bit mindful maybe mm. of what you say, like when you mm. say it. And if the um, people who you kind of care for are mean or grumpy or whatever, like maybe don't take it personally because mm. <laughs> obviously they're going through maybe the worst thing in their life. Yeah. The humour the humor element to me is really an, an interesting element. My dad was a real master of lightening um, some pretty heavy moments and and when we were in um, hospital with him, um, he was such a larrikin in the ward <laughs> and making people laugh and having yeah. a good uh, having a good time um, mm-hmm. in moments where, <laughs> where really you'd be crying if you weren't laughing. And so, yeah, um, I was curious about that too. It sounds like you have um, you know a network of people around you and different support systems and and that trainer. Are you still spending time together? Uh, I don't crack anymore, but yeah, it was still super close. Do you feel that the, that humor is a part of it, like a part of coping? Oh yeah. my god, yeah, hundred percent. Yep. I don't know. When I first came home, man, I was so sad, and and I hated fun, crying in front of like Cam and the kids. So I'd kind of try and disappear, and you know, and then Cam would come in, and and then he would he'd bag me out, and he'd make me laugh. And so humor's huge. You always feel so much better when you you know you laugh, even if you take the piss out of yourself or whatever. <laughs> It makes you feel great. I um I thought I was being so helpful when I was sending in the first year or so of my mom's recovery. I was sending her podcasts and news stories about 
<laughs> against all odds, um, amp- amputees and Paralympians who had climbed mountains and uh, rode waves and won medals. And oh no, <laughs> I think it had now looking back, I think it had the exact opposite impact on my mom. She, um, she wasn't aspiring to be someone's inspiration. She just wanted to be, and she still wants to be able to manage her pain enough to walk again one day. Yeah. Um, as I've paid more attention to the way differently abled people are represented it seems like there's this binary of either like invisibility or heroicism yeah in the way um differently abled people are are shown in the media and spoken about and i don't know it kind of echoes the old sort of gender binary of that women have reckoned with for a long time of either being the madonna or the whore like you can be nothing in between mm-hmm. yeah. you wrote that your quote not the inspirational figure many would like me to be, and that many people let their curiosity override their compassion. We've been speaking to that a little bit, or you have, but I think this is a really important conversation. What is what does that mean? What does that mean for you, not wanting to be the inspirational figure that many people would like you to be? Well, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> because every, I, I, I know, I guess maybe it's social media, I don't know, you know, and everyone's like, oh, you're so inspiring, and I'm like, uh, in my head, I'm like, hey, you've got no idea what goes through my head most days. You know, like, mm. I hate being like this. I hate this so much. You know, I would do anything to just be me, just boring on me again. Um, yeah, no, I do struggle with the whole inspirational thing. Mm. You know, I mean, it's sure it's nice. And, and if you do kind of inspire people to, you know, get off their bum or realize that you, you know, anything is kind of possible, that's great. But yeah, no, I do. I, I, I struggle with the inspirational thing. I always say, actually, that I think that Cam and the boys are way more inspirational than me because they've had to put up with me. <laughs> you know, seriously. <laughs> All my grumpy moods and, you know, being sad and angry. and <laughs> So, yeah, they're way more inspirational. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, you're right. It's, it is funny with the whole disability thing. Yeah, you're either put in a mm-hmm. kept in the dark or you're an inspiration. But I've, I mean, I've heard heaps of other people go, oh, well, I'm, well, I'm, I'm inspiring because I got out of bed today kind of thing. You know, it's just like, yeah. You've had and are still having quite an adventurous life, Sam, or it seems like that from the outside. Risk, risk mm-hmm. is always a relative term and it's uniquely interpreted by each of us. How did your accident change your relationship with risk? Um. Mm, no, I don't think it would have changed it too much. You know, like we still let the kids jump off the roof and, <laughs> you know, do things like that. So I didn't want to, yeah, I mean, I get, maybe I've always been a little risk taker. Mm. But no, I don't think my accident has made me, obviously now I have to um, be aware, a lot more cautious because, you know, I don't want to break my hip or I don't, I don't want to break my leg and I have to look after my skin. So I have to be quite um careful mm. of that but I can think I can think of an example where you've really pushed pushed yourself just from reading your book and that is with public speaking oh yeah oh my god yeah 100%. <laughs> far out man if, if I had to get up in front of people like before this accident there is no I would have run <laughs> I am not kidding like even when because um I used to be a nurse and when I first got um a job at, at the big teaching hospital in Sydney. It's called Royal Prince Alfred. And, um, you know, you'd go in for handover where you'd hand over to the next shift. Oh, my God, I would be so nervous because, you know, 
when it was my turn, everyone would be looking at me and I'd have to, you know, tell them all about the patience and stuff. So, yeah, no, public speaking, being in the spotlight does not come easy to me. <laughs> and now you've now you've had a major Hollywood film made about your life story oh, yeah. and two books that inevitably call you into the spotlight. How are you? How are you handling that now? No, I don't mind it. It sounds weird, but I kind of, I don't mind it. Actually, I don't mind it because we've met so many amazing people and heard so many incredible stories. And yeah, and I think actually personally for me, the one thing I have loved about the books and the film are getting messages off people, like obviously in Australia, but also all around the world. Mm. I guess, you know, they've also had some traumatic experience happen, you know, and and I think they love the fact that I'm pretty raw Mm. and pretty honest. And don't kind of sugarcoat like what ha- what's happened. And okay, I'll use this word inspirational, but I have inspired <laughs> other people with like, like spinal cord injuries to surf again, mm. which is yeah, I think it's mm. like so cool. Is the, I'm trying to think through the complexity of being called inspirational, and is the reason why it lands so uneasily most of the time because people only see. The high moments, the diamonds. You 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 mm-hmm. wrote it as yeah. gravel and mm-hmm. diamonds. People only see the shiny diamonds, and yeah. they miss out on all the gravel that uh, that kind of that can fill your life day after day. I think maybe a lot of people can relate to that with the way we use social media now, and just absolutely just seeing people's diamonds and not the gravel that makes up most of everyone's life. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I've had like kind of like not arguments with Cam, but like you go. I'll post this photo. And I'm like, I, and I will, I would just say that. I said, Cam, like everyone thinks that like my, that our life is just unreal and, and just, you know, we're so busy and this and that. And yeah. And I do struggle with that because it's not always the way I always, I, I still wake up and kind of go, Oh God, you know, I'm, you know, I'm still stuck in a dumb wheelchair and things like that. But yeah, social media is tricky. Mm. Because, yeah, sure, I don't want to post photos of me, like, cry. Not that I cry. I mean, I used to cry, my God, the first year so often. But, you know, I don't want to post a photo of me looking, like, super sad and all that. Like, mm. So, yeah, no, I do. I do struggle with social media a bit. Apologies for the interruption while we take a moment to thank the folks who helped make the podcast possible. Sunbutter Skincare is committed to protecting people and the planet. They make vegan, reef-safe SPF 50 sunscreen packaged in reusable and recyclable tins. They're also the world's first certified palm oil-free sunscreen brand. Check out sunbutter.com.au to learn more about their skin and ocean-friendly lines of sunscreen, surf sink, and skincare. Sanook has been advocating for a more playful and inclusive surfing culture for more than two decades while crafting some of the comfiest footwear around. Thanks for your support, Sanook, and for encouraging water people around the globe to protect their happy places. Learn more about Sanook's partnership with the Surfrider Foundation at sanook.com. Thanks also to Gary McNeil Concepts, who build cosmic surfboards for cosmic people. Gaza's boards combine recycled and plant-based materials that are built to last without sacrificing performance. To learn more, head to GaryMcNeilConcepts.com. I'm interested in your love story with Cam. (laughs) Uh, That's such a beautiful part of your story, and I just personally love a good love story. 
How how has your idea of what love means, romantic love in particular, changed through the decades? <laughs> romantic love. No, I don't think about that anymore. <laughs> Mate, we, you, we've been together for like, oh, far out, like 30 years or something. Wow. Yeah, this is like a lifetime. <laughs> but no, Cam's been absolutely amazing. Like, I'm so lucky, like, you know, to have Cam. Yeah, you know, ever since the accident, he's been incredible. He never gets upset. He never gets stressed out. He puts up with a lot of, like, um, you know, different moods from me. No, he's been amazing. And I think we've become closer, hmm. actually, since the accident. Because, you know, before, I mean, yeah, we went surfing together and stuff, but I did a lot of things on my own because that's what I kind of like to do. Mm. So but now we're sort of almost forced to um, do everything together. But no, it's it's brought us closer, and I think he's amazing. Mm. And what about mothering, mm. Sam? You you have three beautiful boys, and as you said earlier, the way you're able to mother has maybe changed, um, maybe quite a lot since your accident. Yeah. But but what what sort of the core of that experience now what really matters in terms of mothering now that you have a different perspective on um relating to your boys um I don't know I'm just I guess I'm thankful that I'm still here to watch them grow up like they they yeah I just want them to just to be happy and to find something that they love doing and to travel mm. yeah definitely no they're, they're good kids it was certainly hard for them I mean you know, like I said, I wasn't the same mum who, who left for Thailand. You know, before I left, I was always like super easygoing and happy. I think that was the thing. I was always happy and had lots of energy. And then I came back and, you know, it was so sad. And yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't go to the skate park with them and like ride skaties and or go to the BMX track and race them around. Yeah, no, it's it's been definitely tricky. And, um, and I certainly felt very guilty as a mum mm. for not being able to do what I used to do with them and and just, yeah, being kind of like a bit of a party pooper, I guess, like just sad all the time. So it's it's been hard. Oh, it just seems like you've really flipped that narrative, I mean, from what we can see from the outside, um, with winning two world championships, surfing and competing in kayaking, um, I feel like, well, it seems like you've done an incredible job of showing them and redefining what you can do and how capable you are in so many ways still. Yeah, no, no, you're right. You're right. Like, yeah, that's been amazing. Yeah, just showing them that anything is possible if you are creative hmm. and determined enough to make that happen, definitely. Yeah, I have to say when I did win the first world title for the surfing, I was so stoked because hmm. I wanted to win for the kids. I just wanted to win to essentially say thank you, you know, thank you for putting up with me for however many years and, yeah, and just, yeah, just to show them, mm. you know, even though we can, even though it's challenging, we can still do amazing things and still have fun. Mm. Mm. Speaking of amazing things and fun, what is surfing to you now? Like when you get to have a session in the water, do you feel differently when you come back to shore after a session than when you went out yeah yes definitely I think yeah if, especially if the surf's sick and you catch some good waves you do you just come out you're just buzzing and and I think I like it because I kind of feel like my old self 
you know, you just get out and you go, you know, when you have one of those epic days mm. and you just like, just on like the high going, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that feeling so much. And so when you said something about the surf being, you know, really good, just what, what does that mean for you? What's pumping? Well, what, what's pumping to? <laughs> well, you know, no, not, not pumping for like you guys pumping. <laughs> I, like I said, I'm a bit of a chicken, so not too big, but just kind of like just peeling perfect little glassy little waves. Do you go on little family surf trips up or down the coast to do, to, to seek that out at all? Oh, we don't because, you know, only one of our boys surfs. <gasps> I know, right? Oh, well, yeah. one out of three, that's good. That's yeah. still all right. <laughs> uh, I know, but no, it's so frustrating because, um, funnily enough, before we went to Thailand, like we left, I don't know, it was like a couple of weeks after Christmas, and that Christmas I bought um, the older two surfboard. Hmm. And and then I guess, you know, after the accident, that all kind of went a bit pear-shaped. Mm. So I was like, damn, I always thought um, that like Cam and, and the boys that we would, always surf together and we just go on adventures together but I guess I sort of put a bit of a spanner in the works in that one well what's a what's a uh a, a perfect ride for you now when like when you think about catching a really good wave can you explain what that's like for you right now you just said peeling yeah perfect peeling wave are you yep. do you do you have a real specific preference for surf uh yeah probably nothing to definitely nothing too gnarly if it's quite like just like a fat fattish kind of wave with big face so you can kind of turn on it mm. yeah just yeah that that's just the best mm. sam i'd love for you to to speak to the world para surfing championships and that whole organization and what that experience is like getting to be with um different kinds of adaptive surfers oh it's unbelievable it is like it's like a highlight for sure for me you just know like everybody there I mean like you said there's people from all over the world and obviously everybody has a different story but it's just amazing to see how much happiness like surfing has brought to so many people who've I guess Mm. overcome like extraordinary challenges to get back out in the water Mm. and you know like like there's this one guy I mean I just adore him his name's Jose and he was he's American and he was in Afghanistan and stood on an IED. And so he lost both his legs and an arm. And I remember talking to him when I first met him and he he was very much obviously we have different injuries, but we sort of I guess went through the same like sadness after our accident. He wanted he wished he'd died. I wish I'd died and he struggled. He struggled for a long time. But then like me, he found surfing and it just it just yeah, you see, he's got the biggest grin on his face, mm. and he's just so he's so pumped, and he and he loves it. Mm. So I I love going to those competitions where you're just surrounded by so many amazing people who have just yeah, I guess faced insurmountable odds to get back out in the water. Mm. Mm. Sam, in Heartache and Birdsong, you wrote that quote: "There is a time for stillness, and I cherish quiet hours with nature." a good book and above all those I love, but on a planet that is spinning at 1000 miles per hour, much of what makes life worth living is velocity. How did you come to velocity as a measure of meaningfulness? (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's a hard one. (laughs) Why is it speed? Why speed? (laughs) Why, Why movement? Why for you? I think I've always, 
I've always, like I said, I've always been active and always love doing things sort of thing, mm. you know. Like I've always loved traveling and just always keeping busy. And yeah, like I've never been one. Okay, for example, like if you went on a holiday, we would never go to just um, a resort and sit around the pool and read books. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't our that wasn't a holiday for us. And we were way more like always having to just yeah go on adventures and just keep busy and exploring and just things like that. So yeah, I guess that's with the velocity is just always always being active, always on the move. Mm. You're reading your book over the you know rereading over the last week or so. I've found myself crying so much just trying to feel into how much we have to lose and how how uncertain Mm -hmm. life is how your your book is such a testament to the fragility the beautiful fragility of life and how much there is to lose at any point how little control we have but your book really plays to the highest function of art to me and that is to inspire consideration to provoke feeling um what what role does creativity or creating play in your life now oh it's I think it plays a huge part in our lives now I mean I'm lucky because Cam is actually very creative in not only in terms of being a photographer but just like thinking thinking of like ways to do things differently Mm. and if you know what I mean like even in in the book about well this is what Cam did um there used to be like this rock up at Palm Beach and I'd always run up to it and sit on the rock and look out over the ocean Mm. and that was another one of my happy places and then I remember complaining to Cam you know I used to say all I want to do is go to my rock Mm. and you know and I realized that that's impossible because I can't get there anymore being in the wheelchair and so this is so typical of Cam. He made like this bamboo stretcher and put like a beach chair on the top. Mm. And then him and, and four of his friends carried me up there. Mm. I think it's being creative in that way that is just, just, I don't know, it makes life, I guess, more fun. But it's just, it means we can do, do things that, well, that I thought weren't possible. Mm. So I think, yeah, being creative, it's, it's yeah. It's been, he's, well, it's all Cam, but he's been amazing mm. in that way. Sam, I'm curious to know um, your writing style, speaking about being creative. Um, I, I really love the matter-of-factness and straight way you, you well, poetic way, but also, yeah, very clear and very straight-ahead um, storytelling in your writing. And, and was that your style before your accident? Has that always been a way of communicating for you? In the written word? Oh, no, not necessarily. No, no, um, no. See, oh, we've been very fortunate because we had a, um, our friend, Bradley Trevor Grieve, who, um, so I would talk, I would spend hours and hours and hours talking to Bradley and then he would put what I've said and written and, and made it a lot more poetic. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yes, it's, it's definitely not the way I write. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, I, I did write things, but then Bradley would just kind of, totally tweak it and fix it up for me Mm. one of the things that another thing that I love about the book is um the way you address the complexity of holding seemingly opposing emotions um I'll I'll quote you back to yourself again (laughs) quote life is many things all at once and some of those things suck plain and simple the remedy to the degree that any exists 
is to not let the misery of the bad prevent you from enjoying the good. And while that's far easier said than done, this is exactly how I can hate being paralyzed and still be grateful to be alive. In in a world where, you know, binary politics reigns and we group so much into heaps of either wholly good or wholly bad, your book is such a potent reminder of how life is all of it, all at once. And one of the functions, it seems like, of wisdom is to learn how to accept that. Um, as, as one who knows, as one who's written about this, how can the rest of us grow more fully into that holistic holding? Do you have any advice? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, like, yeah, life isn't always good. And like, I think it's, it's a mixture, like, you know, no one's life's always perfect. Mm. And I think you do have to accept like, yeah, bad things can happen. And, Mm. and like I said, like, don't let the misery of the bad prevent you from enjoying the good. Because, you know, mm. sure, like, yeah, sure, surfing isn't the same as it used to be, um, but I still, like, love it and it brings me happiness now, if that makes sense. I mean, I could have totally gone, and this is probably where I was heading in my first summer, saying I'll never get back out on a board because that's not surfing. Mm. So I guess, like, you know, the misery of this accident totally could have prevented me from um, ever getting on a board. Um, it, does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah, so I think I think a lot of people can't get over the defeat. I think a lot of people don't make it over that mark. Mm. And and you have. And I think that's part of why so many of us do find the parts of you that we have access to inspiring because <laughs> because not everybody makes it through the challenges in the way that you have to, you know, to thrive, to still have an adventurous life, um, and to still be surfing. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, I've I'm also been extremely fortunate. I've had amazing support. Mm. You know, like you know who actually started, who convinced me in a roundabout way to get on a board was Nola Wilson, mm. Julia Wilson's mum. Mm. You know, because she she sent me this random letter. I think it must have been when was it? Maybe it was like 2017, and it was such a beautiful letter. And she was just essentially encouraging me to get back out on a board. Mm and get back out in the ocean and and I did so in a roundabout way I owe Nola a lot mm-hmm. did you know did you know I, her before that letter or was no, it out of the blue I didn't know her. it was so out of the blue wow. and she sent me this cool um like carry necklace which I still wear today huh. and yeah it was such a random letter and but it was so beautiful what an example of what how a random interaction can be so uh-huh. impactful that's really beautiful absolutely I know and it shows like there. I and mean, that is the one thing I have learned since my accident is there are so many kind people in this world, mm. Mm. you know, and, and and I don't think they realise how kind and how amazing they are. But just by a simple act of kindness can totally change someone's life. Mm. Isn't that a crucial thing for us to be telling each other right now too, you know, in a, in a world that's so fixated on the terrible things humans can can do to each other yeah and you know that just takes up so much of the airways unfortunately and it's and it's almost like these kind of conversations that we have with each other are um aiming to to balance that out a little bit you know to remind each other that there are so many of these quiet kind courageous uh, compassionate moments happening between 
a lot of us every yeah. day yeah. and they just slip Absolutely. yeah they just slip through in the post in a little letter in an envelope to each other or and something uh-huh. small something small like writing a letter of encouragement can have a massive impact i know i know it's this extraordinary hey mm. yeah that's wonderful thank you for sharing that oh no 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 she's, she's such a legend <laughs> <laughs> and she's just unreal. Like even oh, when was it? The second Aussie Championships that I competed in. Like she came down from um, I think she lives in Coolum, like Ninusa. <laughs> you know, came all the way down here to watch and support. And then for the second World Championships in California, um, her son Bart came down to help. And yeah, they're they're an extraordinary family. Mm. They've got very very big hearts. They. It's wonderful hearts to hear. Sam, I'm curious about what adaptations you've worked into your surfboard design to make paddling and staying on the deck of your board more accessible? Yeah, sure. So what it is, it's just a normal shortboard, but I've got like a handle on the front. Mm. It's, it's like, you know, like on a windsurfer, you know, where you put your feet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like that. So, um, so I hold onto that and then hold onto the, like usually just the side of the board, like the rail, but then on the top, I've got two fins. And that's what keeps my legs in. Oh, right on. Yeah. When we first sort of got, a, um, well, my first board, we'd cut a pool noodle in half and glued that on to sort of try and keep my legs on. And and it just didn't really work so well because when a wave would come, my legs would get washed off and then I'd tip over. So, yeah, so the fins on the top deck work perfectly. Wow. So you've that must be a five-fin surfboard then. There's three on the bottom, two on the top. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. That's like some high-tech shit. <laughs> yeah, right? The looks we get. People will walk past a board and just go, what? And take a double take. It's just like, oh, God. But yeah. So, yes, I guess it, it's pretty bizarre, but it, it works. Mm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? It's a, it's a matter of just um, adapting to that and and getting in the water however you can. Totally. Yep. Sam, you you traveled a lot before your accident and I've seen that you've still been traveling. I'm curious to know what what are you dreaming up now? I'd like to go or where are we going? Yeah, well, both. And also I'm just wondering, you know, in the spirit of chatting about creating and creativity and surfing and where where are you hoping for life's trajectory to lead you next? <laughs> um well actually well, Cam and I are going to Hawaii next week oh. for a competition, which will be pretty cool, be nice and warm. Oh wow. yeah. Where will you surf? Oh it's actually it's at Queens. Oh beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty easy wave, isn't it? Yeah. It's a beautiful, yeah, beautiful. wave. And yeah. timeless. What a it's it's an incredible place to connect with the ancient lineage of, yes. of wave riding. Yeah, so that will be great. I've never been there. Oh. Um I still really want to take the kids to Africa. Mm. That That's kind of like my plan. I know it's not going to be easy, but I really want to absolutely love Africa and I want to take them and just show them how what a magical, amazing place it is and, and the people are just extraordinary. Mm. So I guess that, that's my plan. And actually it's funny, after the World Championships, uh, the Costa Rican team are just out of this world. They're, they're so cool and they've got the most amazing energy. And um, I said to Cam, okay, if I have to grow old like this, I want to move to Costa Rica for a bit. <laughs> just to get out of Australia, just just to live somewhere a little bit different for a while. And mm. yeah, so that's also another plan. Great. Yeah. 
definitely uh, a um, passion for life there and nice surf and nice warm temperatures Mm, and good food good food too really unreal have you regained your sense of taste and smell um I can smell French pennies now, which I couldn't oh, smell. I know. Wow. I was stoked about that. Yeah. <laughs> but then on and then but then I can't smell gardenias huh. or jasmine, which is just equally as like strong smell. Wow. Um it's so strange. Um some things I can smell, or I will smell something and I'll be like going to camp, what does that smell? And um it could be petrol hmm. or something, but I, I don't recognize it as being like that specific smell hmm. and my taste yes it's definitely come back to what it was oh wow geez yeah I know it's nothing worse than when you can't taste or smell anything mm. because it certainly doesn't make eating exciting mm. I remember I'd just be eating I'd be like just give me something crunchy so I get the you know just get the crunch mm. I, can't, I don't have the taste Mm. Sam, in in those darkest moments of um, you know whether it was rehab or eating and not being able to taste, and then balancing suicidal thoughts, battling the darkness, as you put it, yeah. what kept you going? What was it about life that made you choose to stay here? Um, my boys, mm. definitely my boys. Yep, yeah. I mean, geez, they they'd been through enough trauma. And um, and if I had been so selfish to take my own life, then that would just not have been very cool at all. Mm. So yeah, on a selfish level, if it was just me, um, maybe I would have. Because honestly, I just, I truly struggled with like, yeah, being paralyzed. You know, some people are so cool about it or well, not cool, but, you know, they just get on with it. But no, I struggled with it so much. So, mm. yeah, I think the kids, the kids in camp, Mm. are the reason that I'm still here and what's lighting you up the most right now um just keeping busy and yeah obviously getting get to go to Hawaii and then we've got our more championships again in December in America oh and the Aussie world titles in August so yeah we've got a lot on which is good and and it's just lovely seeing the kids grow old like get grow old get older you know grow up because they're like like 16, 18, 20 now. So it's just, mm. yeah, it's just been great watching them turn into young men and uh, they're, mm. they're pretty cool. <laughs> Have their moments. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Sam, I know you've worked with some organizations who, um, like, is it called Spinal Care Australia? Oh, Spinal Cure Australia, yeah. Sorry, Spinal Cure Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about their work and how people can get involved? Yeah, sure. So Spinal Cure Australia essentially raise money um, to put into research, you know, to find a cure. So they've got a couple of trials running at the moment in Sydney. Um, It's called neurostimulation. So they essentially, they put these transdermal pads on your back above the break and then stimulate it and just to see if your muscles below the break respond. So they're doing um, trials like that at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what they do, but I do think it's going to take a while, you know, mm. until they find a, a cure. You know, nerves are just so com- complex and, you know, it's not like you can just kind of put them back together again. So, mm. yes, it's going to take a long time, but, like, yeah, we do whatever we can just to promote their cause and, raise awareness and, and yeah, try and raise some money for them. 
And the and the hope is that um, spinal cord injuries will be something that can be completely healed from. Yeah, which that which would, is yeah. unbelievable. That would be extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. because I mean, I and I always say this, but you know, I was forty one when I had my accident, and I know how challenging it is. But then you know, then I I hear of like young young people, you know, like there's this kid in WA, and he's only sixteen, and like that just breaks my heart because it's kind of like I don't know. His journey, you know, his life is sort of just beginning. Now he has a spinal cord injury. So if they could find a cure and, you know, and fix all these young people, then that would be just unbelievable. Hmm. And how about your friend? Um, was it Bron? Yeah, Bron. Yeah. We're friends have again you? now. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I was so curious to know if yeah. they rekindled your friendship. Yeah, I know. I felt so bad. I mean, you know, because Bron and I, we've grown up together. We did nursing, we've traveled. And then hmm. she came over to Thailand actually um after my accident and she'd come to North Shore all the time and I think it was just like I said when I came home I was just like a basket case and just just yeah I I just freaking hated life and then you know she'd rock up and I mean she didn't mean to but she'd be like oh my god I just had the most awesome swim at the beach and I'd be like oh I don't want to hear it so I Mm -hmm. guess I just pushed pushed everybody away because I was so envious because they were like living the life that I'd loved. But yeah, it was a pretty selfish thing to do. But well, it's also reckoning with how unfair that's like your situation was. Yeah, I know. I know. But yeah, I guess shit happens to everybody, though, doesn't it? Mm. I'm um, uh, curious, Sam, when when I've had um, some injuries or time where I haven't been able to surf for a little while, I find that every night I go to bed, I dream about surfing. And really? Yeah, that's like that's to me. That's a real indicator that um, I need to just at least go to the beach and look at the waves, or maybe get a swim in or something. But yeah, um, I was curious. Did you did you have anything like that happen when it came to your sleep and dreaming of doing stuff that you hadn't been able to do for a while? Yep, I'm never in a wheelchair in my dreams. I'm always running around. Oh. Yeah, it's weird. And then like, and then I wake up and it's like, fuck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, God damn it. So it's fun. Yeah, I'm never, ever, ever in the wheelchair. Hmm. Always, I'm always just the old me, always running around on the beach, whatever. Yeah, so yeah, wow. sometimes it sucks when you wake up and you're like, God damn it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, actually I remember reading in your book, you're talking about, um, you know, waking up you know, and and dealing with the reality of your situation, and then and then choosing to to continue on and to live. And it made me think about um, there's a guy a book uh, called Tuesdays with Maria. I think it got very popular. Oprah Winfrey, I think, featured it one day, and it went huge. But I remember reading it and seeing this old teacher. He would wake up in the morning and he would spend like the first thirty minutes of his day pretty much crying and. Right getting any of his grief or um, trauma in his life, whatever, just out of his system at the beginning of the day before he would then just pick himself up and, and go off into his day and, and um, was a pretty buoyant chipper old, old fella. And, and um, anyway, when I read that about yourself, it made me think of him. And I was wondering if that's still something that you experience when you wake up in the mornings what wake up feeling sad kind of thing or yeah or just like you know waking up and and yeah you've been running in your dreams all night and just you know you're yeah. not in a chair in your dream then you wake up and, and yeah you are. yeah 
Yeah, no, it sucks. Sometimes like I'll wake up, you know, I'll just look out the window and see it's a beautiful day. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, because I know, I know like, what, exactly what I would have been doing. I would have gone out to Rest Head, like to the National Park and gone for a mountain bike ride and, you know, or gone for a surf. So, yeah, it's still, I still wake up and just kind of go, oh, but, you know, can't change it and then get out and get on with it. That's why, I think that's why um, when I'm busy, it's fine because you almost don't have time to kind of dwell mm. on, on the past so much. Mm. Like you don't focus mm. on all the negatives as much because you sort of like got things to do. Yep. Mm. Sam, how do you, just to close, how do you make sense of the unfairness of life? And, and I don't just mean in terms of your accident, um, although that was seems incredibly <laughs> unfair too. Like, do you have any sense of cosmic significance or or some higher guiding power that helps you make sense of of the suffering of being human no I don't know I do think life can be extremely unfair not not about me but I don't know just like all the story stories I've heard I always say to Cameron he kind of gets a bit shitty I said bad things always happen to good people (laughs) you know like and I I don't know all these turkeys who are, you know, drink driving and then they'll, they'll be in an accident but they'll get up and walk away, yet they'll kill someone, things like that. And Cam, Cam's like, oh, you know, kind of shut up sort of thing. But, yeah, nothing. <laughs> yeah, life, life is, can be bloody unfair. But I don't know, mm. that's life, I guess, isn't it? Mm. And I'm not, I guess I'm not religious yeah. at all. So maybe, maybe I, I don't know, like, I, don't, I think if there was a God, yeah, you know, why why does he um make bad things happen to good people? And why do why mm. do kids mm. get sick and die? And yeah, I don't know. Life's just bizarre. Mm. Agree. Yes, that's that's why you have to make the most of it. Mm. You know, I think you have to be live your best life because you don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. Well, thanks for that reminder. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's true. That's the one thing, like um, I'm so grateful that um like before my accident, I sort of did what everything I wanted to do, if you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I wanted to go to West Africa. So I went to West Africa and wanted to go to Bhutan. So, you know, I went trekking. And I'm just so grateful that I didn't put anything off. Because, you know, and then end up like this and you'd have so many regrets going, oh, why didn't I just go here or there? Mm-hmm. So that's what I say to kids. Like, just yeah, just don't put your dreams on hold. Mm-hmm. Just, just do it. That's so fantastic. This is it, isn't it? We've got one shot. 100%. One day at a time. Uh-huh. Yep. Make the most of it. Mm. And enjoy the little things. That's another thing. Just enjoy the fact that you can just get up and, you know, walk down the beach or go sit in the bush or whatever. Mm. It's they're, the, they're the things that I miss the most. It's the simple things in life. Thanks for listening with us today. If you have a spare moment, please leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. Both help us to grow the podcast, which helps us find the best stories from our global community of water people. Our editor this season is Tiffany Richmond. The podcast soundtrack was composed by Shannon Soul Carroll, with additional tunes improvised by Dave and goofy-footed legends Neil Purchase Jr. and Christian Barker. Our visual artist in residence this season is Matt Allen. He's a photographer, graphic designer, and fine artist. You'll find his work on the Water People Instagram this season, and you can find his portfolio and prints on mattallen.com. 
We'll be continuing today's conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcast.